Welcome everyone to today's class. We're sort of now getting into the depth of this subject, so it just gets more and more subtle. So you need to be more and more aware and prepared to take in that subtlety. Like today, what we're going to be covering, theory of reincarnation. You sort of need to put your thinking caps on a little bit. So last week, in the last couple of sessions, we're on chapter 17, Law of Causation, by the way. We discussed that the world is governed by the law of causation. The law of cause and effect. The whole universe and us as humans are governed by this law. It's quite simply, you plant a mango seed, you get a mango tree. Whatever action we perform, we have to deal with the effect of that action. Also, we covered birth and death. It doesn't matter who we are, what color we are, what status we hold. Fact is, we're all going to die one day. And it doesn't matter what God you believe in, no God can save us. It's a natural phenomenon. So what happens when we die? What happens when we die? Birth and death is only a change from one state to another. One experience to another. There's nothing bad about death as we think it is. Just like yesterday you went to sleep, you woke up this morning. Death of your person yesterday and beginning a new birth of today. Similarly, birth and death is the same. It's a natural cycle. There cannot be birth without death. We also said that everything in the world goes through the process of birth, growth, decay, and death. It's a continual cycle. Birth, growth, decay, death. And this is how the world is designed. This is how the world functions. And in our Hindu um, scriptures, it's represented by the three gods, Brahma, Vishnu, and Mahesh. This is how change happens in the world. The world is continuously changing. We as humans are changing all the time. Nothing remains the same. We also said that even though we're going to die one day, we don't feel this threat of death. Why is that? Why is it? Why don't we feel this threat of death? Even if the doctor says you have six months to live, we understand we have six months to live, but we're not, we're not scared of death. We're not terrified. Why is that? Yeah, Vinita? 
because we're programmed that because if we had the fear of death how would we live our life if every day we knew we were going to die yeah absolutely but what makes us that gives us that feeling what gives us that feeling no 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 is it the self which is always there in the background because of the presence of the atman the self the pure consciousness which is everlasting which is immortal which never dies therefore and we are the spirit we are the self so because of the nature of the self it gives us that feeling that we're also invincible it underlines our body mind and intellect that's why we don't feel the fear of death so this is this is what we covered in the last uh, couple of classes is there any questions okay great so we begin today's class Someone's microphone is uh, on. Ravi, could you just see who it is and switch it off, please? So today's topic is the theory of reincarnation. So if I ask you, is there life after death? What would you say? Is there life after death? the old age question what would you answer yeah damish from a scientist point of view from my point of view energy cannot be destroyed it only changes form so energy always reforms again in a different form so doesn't matter what form it is simple answer is there life after death Yes. So the theory of reincarnation talks about life after death. We explore: is there life after death? Now, no one actually knows. No one actually knows for a fact if there is life after death. If someone says there isn't life after death, or if someone says there is, neither know what they are saying. Neither know it as fact. No one knows for sure. Correct? You all agree? Yeah. But with all the evidence and facts, we can come to a conclusion. And this conclusion we call the theory of reincarnation. So there's no proof. Correct? Is that you all agree? There is no proof. It's just a theory. So what is this theory based on? So I'll give you some idea. Every day we we conduct our life. We live our life. We constantly live every day with some form of faith, not proof. 
I'll give you an example. You get on a plane, London to New York. There's no proof guarantee you'll get there in one piece. There's no guarantee. But it's not a blind belief. You go by certain facts. The company that makes the plane, Boeing or whoever it is, has a good track record for reliability. The airline you're flying with has a good reputation. It's not some third world airline you're flying with. You accept the pilots are experienced. So those facts, you have a reasonable conclusion, belief that will get to your destination in one piece. You're with me? This is what it's based on. But it's still a theory. There's no proof, there's no guarantees. You go to a restaurant. You have some belief that you will not get food poisoning. They have a certificate on the wall, five star for hygiene. You've been a few times to this restaurant. It's been there for years. TripAdvisor reviews you read. It's got five star reviews. So based on that, you have faith that you'll be okay if you eat at this place, this establishment. But it's still a theory, there's no guarantee. So every day we live our life this way. Certain facts and understanding. There is no certainty, no guarantee. Yes, is everyone with me? Brilliant. So similarly, no one knows for sure if there is life after death. But the facts that we're going to study, and if we apply the same understanding as the example I've just given you, we can come to a very strong conclusion that there probably is. So that's why it's presented as a theory. There's no, you cannot say it's a fact. Any questions? Okay. Now, um, before we begin today's topic, there's a reference in here, which is called gross, subtle and causal body. Gross body, subtle body, causal body. We have covered it before, but some of you may have not uh, been there. So I just want to go over it again. Gross body, subtle body, causal body. Human being is made up of three bodies. The gross body, which is the physical body. We all see the physical body in the mirror. It's the external form. The subtle body, what is the subtle body? Any idea? What is the subtle body? What comprises, what does the subtle body comprise of? Yeah, we do it. Is it the mind and the intellect? Mind and intellect, absolutely, thank you. So the subtle body is made up of the mind and intellect. We can't see these. And then finally, the causal body. The causal body is the vastness. It's called causal because it is the cause of your desires. It's the cause of your personality, which also we cannot see. So those are the three bodies and the spirit, which is all pervading. 
So human is made up of gross body, subtle body, causal body, and a spirit. Does everyone understand that? Great. You'll need to understand this before we move on today. Otherwise, you'll find it difficult to grasp what has been said. Okay. Any questions before we start? Great. Ravi, first paragraph, please. Theory of reincarnation. What happens when a person dies? His gross body perishes in that form. The material of the body merges with earth. Science declares that something cannot pass into nothing. The law of indexability of matter, the law of conversation, conservation of energy states it. The same law would apply to the subtle body as well. The subtle body of the person compromises his thought, feeling and desire. The resultant of his mental and intellectual forces, his inner energy compromising subtle matter, applying the same law to the subtle body, you would, you would realize that his energy cannot vanish into nothing at the time of death. In this world, there are innumerable deaths occurring every day and innumerable births. The mental energies of those persons cannot disappear or appear all of a sudden. That would be against the established law of science. So what it's saying is, scientific law states that something cannot go into nothing. When we die, what happens? What happens to the gross body? When we die, what happens to the gross body? Yeah, Tamish? It returns to nature. Earth. Either bury or cremate. And then we throw the ashes either in the water or on the ground. Either way, it becomes one with the earth. We all know that. So then what happens to the subtle body? What happens to our mind and intellect? So much going on in there. Emotions, feelings, thoughts, desires. That's all energy as well. Where does that go? So the scientific law applies to our subtle body as well. Something cannot go into anything, to nothing. Our intellectual, mental energy, energy must all go somewhere. It can't suddenly disappear when we die. The physical body we can see, but the mind and intellect, we cannot suddenly die. You all agree? Has to go somewhere. So much going on. Yes, uh, Rishi. Um, I was going to say, is our subtle body not linked to our physical body? So that's to say, your thoughts and feelings are your own only because of the kind the the physical body you have. So when that, you know, when that goes, all of those subtle thoughts also have to leave with you. Absolutely, uh, it doesn't go with the gross body. This is what we're saying. 
that energy is different. This is what they're stating. Okay. Just because we can't see it. Yeah. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Is that okay? Yeah. Great. I'm glad you're here today because um, we need a scientific mind in today's class. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're saying is that mental energy can't go anywhere. It has to go somewhere. It can't just die. Is everyone with me, by the way? Any clarifications? Just stop. Stop me. It's important that you understand each step. So what they're saying is every day there's so many babies being born. Energy cannot be created from nothing. Where does the subtle body, meaning textures of the mind and intellect, come from of these babies? We understand the physical body grows in the mother's womb. But what about the subtle body, the mind and intellect? Where does that come from? So the mental energies, subtle body, can't disappear at death. And when a child is born, it cannot appear on birth from nowhere, the mental energies. This would go against the law of science. This is what they're stating. Kel, make sense? Yep. Any clarifications? Okay, great. Okay. Life is a series of experiences. The progression of life is determined by desires. Desires drive you from one experience to another. In, a philosophic, in philosophic terms, an experience is dead and another born at every moment. Thus, your desires drive you through a continuous procession of birth and death. This procession will continue in perpetuity until the desires are eradicated from your personality. Desires are the cause and the experiences of life are the effect. At the moment of death, a person is left with innumerable unfulfilled desires. He may vanish from your sight, but that does not mean that his desires are extinct. The desires have to be eradicated to prevent further manif manifestation. The cause has to be removed to raise the effect. When the desires are completely exhausted, the cycle of birth and death ends. That is the state of self-realization, God-realization. What it's saying is, we examine our life it's just a series of experiences. The unit of our life is an experience. And thousands, millions of these experiences make up our life. You woke up this morning, you brushed your teeth, I hope. Had a shower. Had your breakfast. Then you came to this class. So from the time you woke up, you've had four main experiences and many others maybe. And all these experiences were propelled by your desire. Propelled by desires. You would not be in this class if you did not have a desire to be here. Is that correct? We all agree? Unless you've got your partner forcing you to, which is a different story. We won't go into that one. So you will all, we won't be here unless you had a desire. 
So the saying, life is propelled by desires. They take you from one experience to another. No desires, no life. Cause is desire, effect is life. Cause is mango seed, effect is mango tree. So it's saying that birth and death is just another experience. Think about it. Birth and death is just another experience. How many times you've been born, how many times you've died, we don't know. Countless times. When someone dies, they die with many unfulfilled desires. So the so cause of those desires has to have some effect. They can't go into nothing. You see, even on someone on their deathbed, they still have so many desires. Oh, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that. I live my life this way, that way. Still so many desires. So those desires have to have some effect. So life continues through the cycle of birth and death due to cause and effect. When will this cycle stop? Any idea? When will this cycle stop? Life is propelled by desires. Yes, Kevin. When your desires are exhausted completely. You have removed all of your desires. The cycle of birth and death stops. This is the state of self-realization. It's quite straightforward, actually. Causes desires, effect is life. Causes desire, effect is experiences. No desires, no experiences, no life. Any questions? Yeah, Damish. So logically, something is causing desires in the beginning for us to exhaust them. Yeah. Is that a question? Sorry. Is it a statement? So they... No, I'm, I'm just putting it there so oh, sorry okay i thought you asked me a question yeah, yeah so. so there must be a force that causes our desires in the beginning yeah absolutely well, once again where did the first desire come from but right now you can stop those by not having any more desires by reducing your desires you can stop this cycle it's up to you and this is what Spirituality teaches how to reduce your desires so you break this cycle of birth and death. Today we've explained logically why it happens. Why is there life and death? Why is, have all these experiences? Because of your desires. No desires, no life. And the whole, whole goal is to reduce your desires so that you stop this cycle. The cycle of suffering. Life is full of suffering. 
we just get used to that suffering so we accept it as normal that's that's the reason we we don't complain we think it's normal we don't know what uh, normal is any questions yeah um fishy So someone who's self-realizing the middle of their life. So I can't hear you very well. We can just go close to For someone who's self-realizing like the middle of their life, right? So if fulfilled their last desire, they're not self-realizing. Do they no longer experience life then as we see it? If they don't no longer experience experiences, they still go through life, right? Yeah, so what right. So then what happens then? What do what 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 is their experiences called then? Good question. We actually covered that a few classes ago. The sister's laughing because she probably was there. But we covered that a few classes ago. So, does it? Does anyone? Can anyone answer Rish's question? Who was in the class? He, his question is: If someone becomes, if he becomes self-realized, Rishi becomes self-realized next year. Okay, he will still continue his life. He won't die. Why is that? He has no desires. He's eliminated. Very good question. He's eliminated all his desires. Why is he still living a life? Is that right, Rishi? Yeah, brilliant. Meghna, could you? Um, I think from the class before, you mentioned that sort of like a petrol, like petrol in a car, that once you've exhausted your petrol, you've still got that sort of momentum to keep going. Um, but also that you've got your sort of selection of vasanas that you've brought with your in your life um from the sort of cloud of vasanas um that you've exhausted those and then i think you said something that there are still or that you're still fulfilling your duty there's still you are having those experiences to continue your life even though you you've exhausted your vasanas you're right, absolutely. So, Rishi, what Meghna is saying is that you're born with X amount of vasanas. Yeah? And those vasanas is a small portion of your total vasanas. So in this lifetime, you're born with a certain amount of vasanas, say X. Okay? Those vasanas have to be exhausted or experienced. So even though you become self-realized, at a young age, you may still have to go through another 10, 15 years or 100 years even, or whatever, because you've got that pool of vasanas that you're born with, and they're still propelling your life. You may not create any new ones, but that's what keeps you the momentum. And the example was petrol in a car. You're going at 70 miles an hour on a motorway, and suddenly the fuel runs out. There will still be momentum pushing the car forward for another mile or two, even though there's no petrol. So that's the example to, um, to answer that question. Is that okay? Is Good, thank you. Any other clarifications? Yeah, Bijabe. You just said life is suffering 
people all around the world are suffering, handicapped people, blind people, uh, Syria, war, everything, you know. So when you said people are suffering, we're taking it very lightly. Different levels of suffering. It's very severe if a child is born uh, without sight. You know, if somebody loses their arm and legs in the war. So different levels of suffering in different with different people in different areas of the world. So what we're saying is compared to self-realization, life is suffering. Yeah. And different people suffer differently in different ways. Some more more greater suffering, some lighter suffering. You know, you, for example, yourself, all of us here, we're living in this Western world. We don't come against atrocities of war and all sorts of things, but we can't say we're always happy. We have money, we have house, we have a car, we have food on the table, we can go in the supermarket and buy anything we want. Go on holiday wherever you want. You can't say you're always happy 100%. You've got used to it. You don't know what happiness is. You meet a person who's developed spiritually. You ask him, what can I give you? He says, I don't want anything. All he's got is his robe and that's it, nothing. And Amara, he says, I don't want anything. And he's totally peaceful, totally happy, no agitations, with his one set of clothes and that's it. How is your life compared to his? And he's in total peace and harmony. So we just get used to our suffering. This is the thing. So how should we look at people who are suffering? How should we look? They're going through their vastness. Cause and effect. Some cause they have put in the past, the result is this effect. There's actually an example um, in, this, in this topic later on. I think your question will be answered by the end of this topic. Yeah. Marita, you had a question. Thank you. You're welcome. So if you are self-realized and you've still got the vasanas that you need to go through, um, do you know that you're... Do you know when you're going to die then? Or no, that's still the same? It's still the same. Okay. So you're creating new vasanas as well. At 80, you want to go skydiving. People do it. But you're bedridden. But you've got desires to skydive. You saw it on the TV. Well, what's going to happen? So this is what happens, you see? That's why I say be careful what you desire. So this is a continual cycle. So we don't know when we're going to die. Okay, slightly going off subject, but... So, no desires, no experiences, no cycle of birth and death. This is the state of self-realization. Ravi, next paragraph, please. Numerous desires of different sorts remain unfulfilled. When people die, at the time of their death, these desires have been exhausted. It would be irrational to presume that all of them disappear into nothing. Now, look at the world from another angle. 
Different types of people are born with distinct tendencies, inclinations, desires. Every human being enters the world with his pattern of thought, feeling, desire. And the people are born with a variety of desires. These variegated desires could not have been, could not have emerged from nowhere. To accept that they have come out of nothing would again be irrational as to presume that they disappear suddenly. Such presumptions would be violating the code of science. They say, every day many people die. They all have different temperaments, different nature, different character, different desires. They all have many different unfulfilled desires that need exhausting, but they died. So that energy, that force cannot disappear into nothing. It has to go somewhere. At the same time, every day, so many children are born, all with distinct different nature, different tendencies. One child is always crying, one is always smiling. Mom says, my first baby was a good baby, always slept, no trouble when eating, but my second, so much trouble. Different nature, different tendencies. Even twins, both have different tendencies, different behavior. Where has that come from? All the children are born with distinct and different desires. Where did these desires come from? Can't have come from nowhere. They have to have come from somewhere. They could not have come from nothing. Because this would be against the law of science. They have to have come from somewhere. My parents have four children. All of us are different in behavior and temperament. How come? All very different. We never think of it like this. So, really, why is that? Hence, the great thinkers of the past made a careful scrutiny of this world and found hordes and hordes of desires disappearing and appearing torrentially. After a thorough investigation of this phenomenon, they brilliantly connected the unaccounted gain of desires of the born to the unaccounted, unaccounted loss of desires of the dead. A sheer audit of the accounts of life, they applied the law of causation which governs the entire universe at all times. Take the desires of the dead as the cause and link them to the desires of the born as the effect. This observation is in accordance with the law of inductibility of matter, the law of causation, the law of karma. This ingenious correlation of cause and effect projects the theory of reincarnation. It is only a scientific deduction from the available data but cannot be proved ex experimentally. 
hence presented as theory. So these great sages, great thinkers, thousands of years ago, carefully investigated what was going on in the world. People were dying. There was death. At the same time, children were being born. There was life. And what did they do? They connected the unfulfilled desires of the dead to the desires of the newborn. Accounts of life. This then satisfies a law of causation that governs the world. Satisfies the law of indestructibility of matter, that nothing can go into nothing. And it also satisfies the law of karma. So this relationship of cause and effect makes up the foundation of this theory of reincarnation. The cause is the desires that were unfilled when the person dies. Effect is the desires manifesting in newborns. So it's only a theory, cannot be proven scientifically. But it's as close you will come to explaining what is going on with life and death. Yeah, Rishi. Um, is it one-to-one then? Because of, of the, a person who's just died, their desires now go to a person who's about to be born. No. No. Okay. So then those Vatanas, can they split and, you know, go to different people? Because that, that would be my only um, explanation for why the population would be growing. Because the same number of people aren't the same number of people being born. So if it's not a one-to-one, -one, all of your Vatanas from one person going to another, it has to be something that's split, right? There is a theory at the end of this topic that explains that. Okay. Yeah. But see, you, you, your parents has a vasana to have two children. You may have a vasana for six children. Mm -hmm. You see? So in a way, you can say that vasanas are created. A person who's dying has certain amount of vasanas. Different yeah. vasanas has different energy, different levels of energy. You okay, so, so then within your own life, you're also creating new vasanas. Exactly. And live in the next child, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you have the ability to exhaust the vasanas you were born with, or also the ability to increase those vasanas you, that you were born with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Brilliant. So this is what the sages, the conclusion they came to. All these people that were dying, unfulfilled desires, where do they go? All these newborn babies being born with desires, where did they come from? So they accounted cause and effect. Any questions? Urabin, make sense? Does need thinking about. We're talking something abstract here. We won't get it in one go. So you have to think about it. If you're an accountant, you'll get it. If you're a scientist, you'll get it. <laughs>
Now, when a child is born, takes on the parent's nature, how does a child decide where to be born? I'm going to find out. Lori, next, sir. Another popular belief is that the newborn inherits the tendencies of its parents, that the law of heredity establishes it. The law of karma does not oppose the concept of heredity. It corrects the general misconception that the equation between parent and child emanates from the parent. It is not the parents that determine the nature of the child. It is vice versa. The child determines the parents. The law of karma explains how the resultant effect of one's mental and intellectual energies would find the right body, parents and environment with no extraneous power deciding this choice. So he's saying we wrongly believe that when a child is born, it takes on the parent's nature. He's saying it's not true. It is a child that decides the parents. It is a child that decides the environment. It's the child that decides where it wants to be born, how it wants to be born. It is our vasanas, our desires that propel our life. So therefore you'd be correct to think that it was our vasanas that decides where we should be born. what body we should be born into, to what parents should we be born to, what environment should we be born into. Why? Why does it have to choose that? Yeah, Vanita? You have to choose that so you can fulfill the desires. Otherwise, how does it work? So you decide when you're born, where, where you're born, how you're born, who you're born to, which environment, so that it can satisfy and exhaust your desires, your vasanas. Otherwise it wouldn't work. So therefore you decide. No higher power deciding your choice. It's the law of karma acting. No point blaming God, why am I born? in this environment? Why am I born in this third world country? Why am I born poor? You have your, you, you get to decide, your vasanas decides, propelled by cause and effect, your desires. Any questions? Just something. So can we say something? Could you move the laptop towards your? your... Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So can we say something? Still, sorry, I can't. Still not here. Huh? It's Can we then say to our children that they can't, they can't say much or anything because they chose to be with us in the first instance? They can't. Sorry, I didn't get the last bit. 
they can't blame us yeah. as parents because they chose to be with us and their parents. Absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> it's a cop I, I can confirm that 100%. So, saying, so does that mean, so I'm just explaining to Syl that the children can't blame the parents. Yeah, absolutely. But it's your duty to fulfill and nurture them and bring them up in the best possible way you can. <laughs> Is that okay? Good, good. So let me ask a question then. So is there any other questions to that? So the child decides what environment and parents that they're born in. Last paragraph we're going to take up. So you might say to me, I don't agree with you. If my desire propels my life, why is it that I'm born in an environment against my liking? Why am I born to these parents that don't love me? I'm sure I didn't desire that. You might feel, why is the world not catering to my desires? Why are my desires not being fulfilled? Any idea? Yep, yeah, uh, Dharmesh? Karma. Karma, yeah, absolutely. Just because you desire to be rich and have a, a nice and healthy life, you may have done things that cause your desires not to be fulfilled. So, you know, you have to suffer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause and effect. Benita, what would you say? Well, you don't know what desires you came with. So that cause has to happen regardless of how you feel personally about it, isn't it? You, you, you can't change that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Hence, you may say, I disagree with it. I have not desired to be born in this environment. So let's take up this last paragraph. Sorry? If desires are the cause for the continued the continuity of life, how can one take birth in an environment or circumstance not to his liking? Take a form of life different from his desires. Why would a person be born poor when he desires to be rich? Why would anyone desire to be born physically handicapped? If desires decide your life's pattern, how is it not so in actual fact? The world that you experience does not seem to always relate to your desires. This apparent paradox arises when you do not correlate cause and effect properly, fully. Your desires are no doubt, your desires no doubt decide the course of your life, but then it is not a particular desire that decides it. It is the compound of all desires. The total effect of your desires decides the course. 
it is called the resultant desire. Does everyone understand that? Yeah. Are you, are you guys okay? We can take up the next two examples, which will explain this. Yeah. Why is it that you're born in an environment, you're born with such desires at the moment, and you're not happy? You surely kind of desire this. Make sense? Why is this person born blind, as you asked before? Why is this person born in an area of conflict, third world country? Why am I born poor? Why am I born rich? The world is not catering to my desires. And it's saying it's because it's not one desire that decides our life. It is our total desires. The resultant desires of the many desires, all of which are made up of various different strengths, different desires, different direction. All these desires that operate and decide what course our life takes. So right now you may be unhappy thinking, well, this surely I haven't, well, I wouldn't have desired this. Maybe you haven't. But what about all your other desires? So there's an example, which I'm going to explain. Okay, there's two, two, two diagrams, which I'm going to explain. And then that actually finishes off this, um, this particular portion of this topic quite well. So see if you can follow this. Uh, Ravi, could you um, put those two diagrams on there and I'll explain. Can everyone see that? Okay, figure one and figure two. Okay, so in physics, two forces are acting on an object. Two forces are acting on an object equally. Those two forces in figure one is A and B. But the object will actually move where? In the direction of R. It wouldn't move in the direction of A or B if two forces of the same strength are on that object. To simplify, let's say you have two desires. One desire to be famous, OA at the bottom. One desire to be rich, OB. What will happen? With the two desires of equal force, you may not fulfill either desire. Instead, you go into the direction OR, a completely different direction than you desired. Does that make sense, Benita? Because I can see you on the I can only see four people. Does that make sense? Okay. So you see the diagram there. Zero, the O is you. Now, two forces acting on you. Two desires are acting on you in equal forces. Desire B and desire A. Let's say one is for richness, one is for being famous or whatever. And if both desires are acting on you, yeah, there'll be force from both sides. So what it's saying is that your 
trajectory in light will go towards R. It won't go either way, it'll go R. See, in physics, if you apply forces from both directions, yeah, then the, the, it will be the, the force on the object will propel it to go in a different direction. So I'll read out what it says in this uh, paragraph. The parallelogram law of forces in physics explains this phenomenon as illustrated below in figures one and two. Consider an object in position zero, free to move in all directions. Two equal forces act upon it. One force horizontally along OA, the other vertically along OB. The object will then move neither in the direction of OA or OB, but diagonally along OR. There is no force operating along OR, yet the object moves in that direction. The force that drives the object along OR is called the resultant. The resultant force is the effect of both the forces. Yeah, does that make sense? So in figure two, it's showing many lines, many different forces. Let more forces, OF1, OF2, OF3, etc., apply on this object. Several forces of varying strength and direction. Then the resultant would be the total effect of all those forces. It is OR, resultant force. Yet the object will move in that direction. The same phenomena takes place in your life. Your life is ordered by your resultant desire, the total effect of all your desires, innumerable desires operating you. Each has its own strength and direction, but you will move in the direction of your resultant desire, which may not be in the direction of any one of your desires. That should explain why your life may not always be in line with any particular desire. That is the law of life, which applies to every individual throughout the world. So in the second diagram showing object O, and it's showing many forces acting on the object, the object goes in a completely different direction, the resultant force. Very, thank you. Would you take it off now? So similarly, there are thousands and thousands of desires operating throughout our life. It's not just one desire. And these desires are pulling us in all different directions in life. Remember, it could also be desires from our previous life. Not only in this life. You don't know how many desires you've got from the past. So all these different desires put together propels our life. That's why a life may not be going in the direction towards one particular desire. That's why we sometimes feel that life is taking us against our desires. I want to be rich, but you're poor. I want to be white, but you're dark. I want to be a woman, but you're a man. Different desires. 
Is it how it functions? Dermish, you have a question. See, another way to explain this, what other people would be, if you imagine like a, a tug of war, yeah. you have desires on either side, and the rope moves left to right. Yeah. If it helps you to understand it, that's fine. You can come up with your own analogies, depending on your temperament. Rishi, does that make sense? Physics. If I made a mistake. No, no, that all makes sense. I was going to ask, actually. Um, during our lifetime, we come up with our own desires. Um, if you then understand the cause of those desires, you can either, you know, fulfill them or, um, you know, reduce the amount of desires. But then, you know, to carry on, at some point, you'll need to determine what your desires were. All you see is the compound desire, right, from, uh, from your birth. So at some point, you'll need to come up with what those desires split into, because individually, you'll need to fulfill them or fulfill them. But like you said with the thing, you've, if you've got a resultant, you could have infinite possibilities of what the individual uh, desires were that are made up with. Absolutely. So there, so is there at some point some way to determine what your what your compound desire breaks down into? No, because your past desires from past lives, you have no idea what they were. Whatever they were has brought you to it today in this environment, living in this country, born to the parents you are born in, and attending this class is the result of all your past desires. Now. You can't tell what will be next, but what you can do is control those desires through spiritual practices. Hence, all these spiritual practices have been given to us in the Bhagavad Gita, the three yogas. They're specifically designed to reduce and eliminate our desires, whatever they may be, however they may, however many they may be. Okay, so you use the language reduce, right? So that 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 doesn't. Reduce means up to the point where you're back towards your your birth desires, or whatever, or whatever reduce desires, desires that are coming. Whatever desires are manifesting, you have a choice to act on it or not act on it. When it becomes a desire, you go past the shop, you see an ice cream parlor. You have a choice: shall I get an ice cream or not? You decide you go in to the ice cream shop. You have a choice. Shall I get one scoop or two scoop? That is your desire and you have control over that desire. If you have the understanding and the knowledge and the intellect to control that desire. Yeah. So at any choice in life, you have, a you, you have the ability to stop acting on that desire. Okay. So Even then when it manifests, you have a choice. Shall I fulfill this desire or not? So then my next question would be then, is, is our goal in this lifetime to then, you know, only the desires we were born with, fulfill them, and that's it. Once we, and then it's up to the next life to do the, the rest of the work. Absolutely. And you have a choice of increasing those desires or just exhausting them or decreasing them through the three yogas in the Bhagavad Gita. Okay. Yes. So I have a quick question. So in your example, 
uh, with the ice cream parlor and the one and two scoops. If you choose to go in, obviously that means, and you buy the ice cream, you're fulfilling that desire. If you choose not to go and get the ice cream and say, look, I'm, that's not for me, I need, you know, um, that desire remains unfulfilled essentially then. Does that mean that the desire just disappears and that, that, that it doesn't exist anymore because you've overcome that desire or does it just go back into your pot of desires that you'll fulfill at some other point? If provided, provided that you don't have spiritual practices to reduce and eliminate. Good question. It depends on why you said, I'm not going to fulfill that desire. You may have a stronger desire to lose weight, which is an overriding desire, a stronger desire than fulfilling having an ice cream. If the desire for ice cream is stronger than your desire to be fit and lose weight, then you will eat an ice cream. If your desire is stronger to lose weight and become fitter, yeah, and it doesn't go along with that, then you won't. So therefore that desire is now eliminated. Okay. So it depends on which desire is stronger. Your desire for spiritual development, if that is stronger, then so we'll follow that. So basically what you're saying is so some desires can cancel out other desires if they are stronger. And depends on the strength of the desire. That's why in life, if you notice certain things you comes up in your mind, says, you know what, I don't want that. Yeah, you can just say, I don't want it. It's gone. Certain things you have no control. I don't want it. But something's propelling you still to do it. Eat it. Go and experience it. Because the strength of that desire is stronger. So you can't control it. It's too strong. It's something you may have been doing for the last 30 years. So it depends on the strength of the desire. Megna, you had a question. Um, going back to what uh, Rishi asked, um, is, am I right in thinking that we can't know what desires made the path that we're on now? And then the, the desires that we have now obviously can alter the path that we're on just... Um, depending on how strong they are. And our purpose obviously isn't to, we can't know what desires we came with because we don't know our cause, but from now on, we can change our future sort of path with the desires that we're on. So if we're eliminating, obviously then we have a desire to become self-realized and, and that's our forward path. Absolutely. Do you remember last class or the class before we talked about self-effort? Yeah, we are a victim of our desires. We are a victim of our vastness. We can't but help act on those. But we have the freedom, what we call self-effort, which is independent of those vastness. And by applying that self-effort, you can eliminate your vastness. To not have that scoop of ice cream takes self-effort. I am not going to do that. That's independent of your vasana. Does that make sense, Magna? We, we, as we as humans have been given that free will, not to be victims. Is that okay, Magna? Uh, Arunaben, you had your hand up first. 
So I just want you to find out in this lifetime, are we only reducing the vasanas of this lifetime and not previous lifetime? You're reducing, you see, you're made up of all the vast past vasanas. Yeah. Whatever pops up now may not be a vasana desire from this lifetime. It could have been from the past lifetime. You don't know. You're, you're fulfilling the resultant desire of all the past desires, not one desire. So we don't really know which desire we eliminating, but actually it, it okay. Because it just I just got a bit confused when Rishi said something and I was thinking in terms of because destiny means that we are born with our past. So surely, but you, what you're saying is we just don't know which vasana we are reducing. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. worry about which vasanas from where yeah. and where. I would concentrate more on the fact that I have vasanas. I'm a victim of vastness, but I have, I have control over them if I want to choose to do so. Mm. Just take that away, nothing else. It's no point understand, to, to understand what vastness is operating at the moment because it's irrelevant. Mm. I guess it's irrelevant in terms of reducing, but it's in understanding who we are. Yeah. It's, it's to understand that we are part of the makeup of our past as well as what we do now. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, thank you. It's you as a human being and your personality right this moment. And that's why everyone is different. Yeah, Kevin. Um, so if we're just going, uh, stepping a bit back to the reincarnation theory that we've been discussing. Um, so we said that the energy, um, you know, is basically at death, that energy kind of moves on. So I mean, what I understand it is that energy moves on to, to birth, basically, right? Um, and that can explain, uh, you know, births and deaths that, that are all the time. And then we can even take that further to say that, you know, why certain species may be extinct because, um, you know, those species are extinct and, you know, can correlate probably to the increase in human population or whatever that might be. Yeah. My question is, that's, go, that's basically going through a reincarnation and the cycles of uh, birth and death across the different species of life. At some point when we do become self-realized and we do reduce all our desires and, you know, I mean, that the point is basically at, at the end of all our spiritual practice, we want to be liberated, right? We want to get gain moksha. So what I'm trying to say is, where does that energy then go to? Because at the moment we can account that energy going into the cycles of lives and deaths. But at that point, when we finish all of that desires, where does that energy force go to then? So you're, you're, you said in your sentence that you have this desire for moksha. You have this desire for self-realization. When you attain that, where does all the energy go? You've eliminated that desire and taken that the strong desire of moksha has taken over all those desires. The conclusion is moksha. The conclusion is self-realization. All those energies have, have dissipated into that state of self-realization. All that energy, this is what it's come to. But it hasn't disappeared. It's transferred to this state. And I'm guessing we don't know where that state is or how it, how, what, yeah. It's beyond the world. 
So we're talking about laws of the universe. We're talking about the laws of this world that we know. Self-preservation is another state altogether. Just as the dream world last night was a different state. This waking world is a different state. So the state of self-realization is a completely different state. Is that okay, Kevil? Which we don't understand. Just as the dreamer doesn't understand the waking world. Yeah, I think it requires a bit more thought and a bit more thinking. Yes, absolutely. We won't get this in one go. We have to put a lot of effort in to understand this. You know. Right. It says low battery. That means a sign that we should be ending this class because <laughs> we can go on forever. You, you have to read what we've covered today. You have to put some effort into understanding it, and then you'll have a better understanding of this particular topic, which, you know, it's not easy to understand. Because it, we're, it goes against everything we think about. We only think about the world. We don't think beyond the world. Okay, guys, I will see you next week. <laughs>